Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. I'm your host, Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, podcaster, and philosopher king. I'd like to uh, thank you for listening to the show. I'd also like to thank my friends over at Premier Dental, who bring this and every episode of the Alan Mead Experience to you. Uh, we'll be talking about some amazing Premier products later in the show, but I just wanted to thank those folks for supporting us. Uh, Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry. That is what they are over at Premier Dental. I'd like to introduce my guest, uh, a friend of mine who I met at the Voices of Dentistry in 2017, Dr. Daniel Smith. Daniel, how are you doing? Man, I'm fantastic, Don. How are you, Al? I'm good. I'm good. The last time I saw you was Nashville. Yeah. Well, that's actually that's the, that was also the first thinking. time that I saw you. That was the, the I think that was the first time I met you also. Uh, yeah, that's also right. Uh, it was a great meeting. It was a great meeting. Glad to glad to host it in my home state. I know. Right. Like, OK, there was uh, we're doing it in Scottsdale in 2018. And frankly, being from Michigan uh, in January, Scottsdale is not a hard sell for me. But I got to say, Nashville was pretty great. I uh, I definitely have a soft spot in my heart for Nashville. I've spent more time in Nashville. I've been there three separate times over the last year and a half. So I've been I've been to Tennessee quite a bit in the last yeah, few years. Nashville's good times. It's a it's a happening city, and they got the hot chicken and the country music and yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And they had the voice of the dentistry of, in 2017, is what they had. Yeah, they did a bunch of nerdy uh, dentist podcasts. That was a good venue. I really enjoyed it. It's so funny because that that venue. Uh, was a holodome in the 1980s, to be sure. Like, there's no oh, doubt yeah. about that. And I don't oh, I was, remember when it was. Was it you that told it, me that it, it didn't was, used to have a roof? It might I, have wouldn't, been. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Someone, really, was, someone was telling me, yeah, when I came here as a kid, it was outdoors. This whole inside thing was outside. Like, there was no roof over it. Well, and, and, and like Opryland used to be right next door. There used to be a big amusement park there. Yeah. Where a big was and the whole thing. It was, it used to be, you know, uh, the land of. The Grand Ole Opry and, and roller coasters, and now it's the Grand Ole Opry and a mall. Yeah, the mall is insanely big, and and the hotel, the actual, the one across the street was insanely large. I didn't even go in there. Oh yeah, well you got to go at Christmas. They they like bring ice sculptures inside and everything, oh, right? which for, for us in the South is really, I mean, it's quite something. Look at that ice sculpture. I ain't never seen anything like that before. Yeah, you guys don't really have that. You guys don't really have that large of pieces of ice like in in nature there probably. No, well, no, no. I mean, we usually just chip it up and put it in the sweet tea. Yeah, exactly. That's, dude. Just so you know, that's like my my parking lot looks like that. It's not nearly as pretty. There's probably more dog pee in it too. But, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, for someone who doesn't see him very often, maybe someone from Tennessee would look at like you know the snow plow stuff and think that looks like an ice sculpture. Maybe, maybe. It, it would be you see you see that and then you run to the grocery store and you get your your bread and your eggs and your your beer and your milk and you know you go home and make a casserole out of it and survive the winter blizzard exactly welcome it's like you've lived here or something it's like you've lived here so Daniel I had a couple things I wanted to talk to you about first off I've I have at the office in the last two days I've had a terrible attitude I've had a terrible attitude like like I've hated being at my office I've hated. I just and and I I realized on the way home like this attitude can be traced to the fact I I have this year has been uh, 
to be somewhat crass about it, this year has been balls to the wall. We've been we've been cooking this year. Like we've been busy and literally I haven't had any big slowdowns in at my office until like Monday, right? Like like definitely September <laughs> September is coming. And you could tell oh, yeah. like the, the bottom sort of fell out of it this week. And I am miserable when I have when I when I'm not busy enough. Like I too busy I definitely have a sweet spot. Like, too busy is no fun for me. Either. I don't. I don't like it when I'm running ragged and people are and I'm running behind. There's kind of nothing worse than that for me. But I'll tell you what: when I got space in my schedule, I'm sitting on my hands. Not good for this guy. Like, I never really. I thought, oh, I'll use the time wisely. No, no, I just feel horrible. I spend I spend the time that I'm not working on patients feeling bad about everything. So I don't. It's crazy. I I think I've realized that. Like, my attitude has sucked. Because my schedule has sucked in the last few days. So have you ever noticed that? You run into that ever? Oh, gosh, yeah. Like tomorrow, for me, it's tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning I'm having what what I refer to as a fine Navy day, which we can talk more about the Navy here in a second. Yeah. But uh, – and that is when I was in the Navy, uh, if I didn't see a patient, I still got paid. It was yeah. no big deal. I read to the end of the internet and back, and who cares? But, man, in private practice, when there is nobody in the chairs – uh, my staff knows that I'm going to start crawling up hindquarters. We're going to, we're going to start cleaning in deep, dark corners. And they just know that they should find, go out in the four lane and punch somebody in the face, bring them in, bring, I'll fix break them. some teeth, break some teeth. Yeah, That's I don't, fair. I don't care. Just give me something to do or else we're going to start, we're going to start cleaning in corners. You didn't want to clean in. And there's and a part, there's a part of me that goes, ah, oh, it's all right. Just go online and screw around or go drink some coffee or whatever. And I'm just, my thing is like, the numbers have been fine. Over, you know, it's it's not like I'm I'm feeling. It's not like a, the the floor has dropped out of numbers or anything like that. It's just literally, my mental well being is better when I've got someone in the chair. And and I mean, I can take breaks from whatever, but I'm just saying when I've got a hole in my schedule, I'm antsy. And you know what else it does? It gives me a chance to see what the hygienists are doing or not doing. Which is to say, <laughs> when they're not busy and I'm not busy, you've never seen them sharpen instruments like that before. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you just you, like, you so end up crawling up somebody's hindquarters. Yeah, and- you're you're cleaning. You're you're. I mean, it's it's a little nutty, right? It's like, uh, I when Doc is happy, everyone's happy, and I I mean, I wasn't horrible to my team, but I definitely have had, I've not been myself. Like I've 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 been almost hard. I I clearly must be hard for them to be around because I'm hard for me to be around. You know, like I'm just like I'm just miserable, and um, yeah. and and I don't have to be hyper efficient seeing 50 patients a day. I just want to be, I just want to be steady busy. And, um, and it really, I, I think that's what it is. Cause I've just been out of sorts for the last couple of days at the office specifically. And, and, um, I don't know, man, it's weird. And it, it, it's really, this year's not, I haven't run into that much there. There are in years past. There are times when I just sweaty about stuff like that, but this year has been really steady, like, like steady to the point where you're almost like, wow, can this be real? You know? But yeah. um but yeah, this last couple days and I've been just a mess as far as my just my outlook has been bleak, right? Like I don't I don't know. It's it's not a good place to be. So then the question is, realistically, I I'm probably you know, the few procedures I did I were plenty productive too, right? So it's like like I said, the numbers aren't even bad. It's just I don't want to sit sit idle like that. I don't know. It's just Well, I mean if it if I, if it was gonna be like not busy, I, I mean I can I can be home with my pants yes. off, bringing yeah. a cup of coffee. Like yes. I, I can do that at home. I don't need to be at the office for that. And it, if I came into work, I expect to do something. And those schedules are always the best because you got a patient at eight, and then <laughs> and you take care of that one. Eight forty-five rolls around, and your next patient's eleven thirty. 
like, wait a second. Hey, hang on a second. I, I will say this, too. I, I've decided that we have I, we use Lighthouse. And uh, apparently, because I have been on my own schedule for hygiene, apparently we pester people with texts until they confirm, yeah. right? We pester. And I'm, you're thinking, that, that definitely makes people show up better, right? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. There are people that will confirm your text right in your face and still not show up. It's like they oh, go yeah. out of their way. So I, I feel like that's three hundred bucks a month that I'm spending. That that yeah, well, I'm sending. That's true. I am sending a lot of texts and emails, but I don't feel like people show. I think people still fail or cancel at the same rate. It's bizarre. That was supposed to well, fix that, right? Yeah, we used Lighthouse for a while at the office, and uh, I mean, we had to we had to like turn down the frequency of text to. <laughs> I know people like. What are, like who two, are you people? What are you doing? Well, and then you get then you get like the old folks with the flip phones coming in. They're like, "You church me a dime for this text? I expect compensation." That's so funny, and, and, and so, but then no, some of them yeah. love it. Some of them love it because I swear to God, there are people that really need five texts for them to actually show up. And and like a, a SWAT team to go drag them out of their house. And I'm not even yet. kidding. I'm not even kidding. What is that like? And then uh, when they still miss after they've they like. <laughs> they like confirmed the text like 45 minutes before their appointment. They still don't show up They're I mean, clearly they're, they're planning on not coming and they're just going, eh. So I, I think that I, the one thing I think about maybe texting in particular that makes the story is when, when they talked to a person, I think they must've felt much more obliged to come in. I th- yeah. San, oh, San, yeah. Text, Sandy like Pardew has, has a theory. Then she has a theory. She thinks that texting stuff is garbage. And I'm beginning to think she might be right because if you talk to a person, it's a lot harder to like bail out after you actually talk to them and told them with your honor. Texts, no problem. We give them just a little button to push to say they're coming and they can be sure, whatever, and they don't. But I think it's when they talk to you. So it's clearly more labor intensive. It costs more to do it that way. But I, I'm wondering if that's if that is the key. Uh, Alan Mead Experience listeners, I want to hear about this. Email me at Alan, A-L-A-N, at the Alan Mead Experience, or go to the Alan Mead Experience Facebook page. And if you haven't joined the Alan Mead Experience Facebook page, uh, just go to Facebook and look up Alan Mead Experience, and then you can get an invite, and there's a secret password. And I only give it out on the podcast. The secret password is Premier. You will not be allowed to enter without giving the secret password. I have been good that way, Dan. I have not let anyone in. I, I haven't either, and even, it, it doesn't have to be spelled exactly. No, right. no. Most, in fact, in fact, spell it uh, creatively. I'm fine with that. Really, um, my friends at Premier would probably prefer you spell it correctly while you're looking in the website. But besides that, spell it any way you like. I'm cool with that. But we get. We yeah, get if you're possible. looking just to get in the door, I mean, whatever. We'll let you in if you got the right word. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Any in any case, we can talk about it there too. But I'm I'm curious to see what people think about these like. Because I know lots of people brought them on, and, and it was one of these things where it was going to solve all our problems that way, and yet somehow we I still have the same, <laughs> the same yeah. people not showing up. You know what I'm saying? And to, be, and to be honest, like when we signed up with Lighthouse, it was still Lighthouse 360. It was before I think before Yodel even bought it at the time. Um, you know, the ladies that my ladies that had been working with my dad and my uncle uh, in our practice for you know. 10 or 15 years, they rolled their eyes at young Dr. Daniel and his fancy newfangled text messaging. And so they, they just continued to make phone calls. So we, we pester people both ways. That's actually good. But you know what? It's probably good. But, you know, there's a part of me that wants patients that would be responsible enough to do this on their own. You know, like that almost, that's like, I'm attracted to a patient that's responsible enough to do that. But then in reality, 
those people might not need that much dental work either. Yeah. <laughs> those are the same people that might floss on a regular basis. <laughs> Take care of themselves. Yeah, I don't know. It, it just it just kills me. I'm like, and I I would love to tell you that I've like never never forgotten anything. I, I have, but you know what? This is one of these things where it just doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Like, it's clear that dentists, uh, as a whole, we care more about that stuff than the patients do because we're essentially by texting them five times. Isn't that essentially saying we, you know, we're begging them to come to the appointment that they made as a grown up? They chose this time to come, and we're begging them to show up. It just seems yeah, silly. I mean, it, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like a needy girlfriend kind of situation. <laughs> it totally is. It totally and, is. And, you know, a lot of people, they want to shrug that off. And, you know. So let me let me clarify. So you're saying that you and I are the needy girlfriend in this situation. Yes. Yeah. The people sending multiple messages and yeah. said that they say you up. Yeah. Um, Don't ever and, talk to any other dentists. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you looking at that ad. Where did you get this piece of mail? <laughs> I saw you looking at that Aspen sign. Oh, my gosh. We are. We're like the needy girlfriends of the dental world. That's pathetic. I don't know. From from now on, we should have like we should have like a, a service that's like the anti service, some kind of anti anti texting service. It's like, like a we, hipster text. that's like come or not, I don't care. I could care less, really. I could care less. I don't need you. Yeah, exactly. And then they're just beating down the door. Yeah, no, that's, exactly. I be loved by you. It's it's reverse psychology. You abuse them. Say, you know, I, I I'm not even sure I'm going to hold your appointment. I just disdain you so much. And then exactly, I think that's exactly what we need. We need, <laughs> we need. This is like a whole new world of consulting. I'm serious. I'm serious. It's like it's it's GNF consulting. <laughs> I'm just like I care Trade, so little if you show up. Right there. Yeah, I I am I am convinced though that that like there is a certain amount of the patient. You you this is real. I, we're joking about it, but this is kind of real. I think okay. there's there's a lot of nonverbal stuff going on where patients sense that you want them to do this really bad. I do think there's certain people that are really good at explaining what they need with with literally no, uh, as Tarun likes to call it, creating urgency. <laughs> I'm not good at creating urgency without sounding like the pathetic girlfriend, really and truly. So I think that's I think that's the solution. I think the solution is to care a lot less. I don't know. I'm there it is. On it. There you go. <laughs> GNF G uh, Consulting. GNF Consulting. So you can. Check. I'm going to buy that URL. We're, well, that's going to be up next week for sure. So that's a, that's that's a t-shirt booth at the next voice dentistry. Right say there. something like. If you're a restorative dentist, you're gonna have to remove zirconia. Just as simple as that. You may not have to do it every week. You may not even have to do it every couple weeks. But you know what? Every month or so, and maybe more often, you got to cut through some zirconia. And tons of companies have a burr that's specific for cutting through zirconia. It goes against what you'd think. You have to use kind of a finer grit diamond to remove this stuff. So you can spend a bunch of money on their zirconia removal burrs that are not disposable. They're expensive as all get out. Or you can try this burr that I just started using for it. Now, you guys know that I use Solo Diamonds, which are disposable diamonds from Premier. I love them. Uh, I love disposable diamonds because you get a nice fresh cut every time you use them. And you don't feel bad if you burn one out like that. No big deal. I use the KS1012F. It's a cylinder burr. And it's a round-ended cylinder burr. And it's a fine grit, but not a very fine, just a fine. So it's a red-striped cylinder burr to remove your zirconia. And what's crazy about it is 
I've never used a burr that cuts through it so quickly. I don't know if it's... It's got to be a combination between the actual grit on the diamond and the width of it because it's a little narrower than like maybe your regular chamfer. It's insane. It's like a lightsaber for zirconia. Now, the people at Premier, they won't tell you that that's what this burr is for. This burr is, you know, whatever you'd use a fine grit burr for. But my assistant handed it to me last week, and I'm sold. It's unbelievably good. You need to try it. The KS1012F Solo Diamond Burr. Thank you, Premier, for making these things. Premier Dental Products, inspired solutions for daily dentistry. So, so Daniel Smith, tell me a little bit about... Uh, you you did the military dentistry yeah. thing. You, yeah, like, in a- dental school, it sounds like you chose. So tell me, how in the world did you come? First off, any dental student or pre-dental student listening to this right now, uh, get a pen and paper. You need to write this stuff down because I- I've said it in the past. I am convinced right now, if, knowing what I know now, I probably would not choose dentistry unless there was a way to find someone else to pay for dental school. Um. You know, loans were loans are a reasonable thing. Like like I said, I came out with about eighty five thousand dollars in debt and thought I was in deep trouble, and that's nothing now. I just feel like you're in a much you're in a power position if you can come out with a lot less debt, even if it takes a few years before you're looking to buy into a private practice. And so I've always thought this this military thing seemed like something that some of my buddies did in dental school, but not for me. But now I'm thinking of I don't know how you do dental school without this. So tell me, how did you decide on doing it? What how did it come about? Uh, so uh, my wife and I got married and moved to Memphis in 2003 and promptly signed uh, some Stafford and Perkins loans to pay for dental school. Yep. And <laughs> I saw the bottom number and thought, $26,000, this is too much money. And um, so pretty early. You know, in OK, let me semester- let me give you credit right off the bat. First off, I never looked at that crap or if I I mean, I didn't. It was like Monopoly money to me. Like I just showed up and signed the paper because I had a microbiology exam. You know, I like I didn't I didn't really look at it. So I give you credit for actually paying attention enough to realize that it was too much money. Well, it actually wasn't the loan that I signed for. It was the like at UT we got a a list of um, like all the supplies that we were sold that you have to buy and the books and everything. And I saw the bottom number and I was like, holy crap! Is this how much this is going to cost? Yeah. And that was that twenty six thousand dollar number. So. Pretty early in, in that first semester, I started, um, you know, the, the Air Force would come, the Army would come, the Navy would come and do like lunch and learns and yeah. like, you know, free food is great. Yep. Um, and the Navy guy was like, yeah, you can go to all these places. And, and he, you know, was showing like Key West, Florida and Hawaii and, um, you know, Charleston. And I, I'm a big fan of Charleston. My wife and I love to go there. Sure. And so I was like, hey, we could totally live in Charleston. So that's. As stupid as it sounds, like that was all the consideration. It was like they're going to repay if I get the scholarship, and um, we could go live in Charleston, and that, like that was enough. My wife was like, "Yeah, let's let's put put a package in." So, you know, a ton of paperwork later, I got accepted to. I think it's still called the HPSP program. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so you get you, you get sworn in as an as an officer. So I was an O one yep. in in the Navy. I was an ensign. Uh, in dental school, and um, did anyone ever call you maggot? That's what I want to know. No, uh, no, no, because I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go to officer indoctrination school (OIS) up in Newport, Rhode Island, until I was uh, I graduated. Um, so I put on my lieutenant bars at graduation, and um, then went to OIS. And 
I mean, it was kind of called knife and fork school, really. Yeah. It was like, here's how you wear the uniform. Don't yeah. embarrass yourself. And yeah. we had a sergeant major from from the Marine Corps run us around the field a whole bunch. And, you know, we did push-ups and goose poop and sit-ups in the sandbox and got, you know, got dirty and filthy. But it wasn't – it was by no means boot camp. I'd feel like – I'd feel like, I'd feel like it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be right if someone didn't call me maggot. I don't know. Nah, I just feel I, like – I feel like it's a – I, you know, they would say maggot, sir. Sir. They <laughs> yeah, they couldn't, exactly. They couldn't really, you you outranked them. So it really was awkward when they would call you names like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they put it as sir sandwich. So <laughs> sir, maggot, sir. Yeah, and that way yeah. you were respected and still a maggot. So yeah. that was fine. Um, well, but I, I'm going to ask you about, I'm going to ask you about Newport sometime too. Finish, finish telling me this. I want to hear about Newport, but go ahead. Yeah. So, um, but so in school, you know, they, they pay for tuition they pay for books um, you get a stipend. Um, at the time, there was a whole list of supplies that they would buy in addition to whatever the school would sell you. There was a whole list of things. So I got like an extra articulator and a pair of loops. And really? you know, all you, to, all you had to do was turn in the receipts and do the pro. If you do the paperwork right, you get paid back. Interesting. Um, so that was that was a great. I took I took a three year scholarship. It was a great way to go through school because it gave you, um, you know, some breathing room in your monthly monthly income, and then. Uh, for two weeks out of every year, you actually went on active duty, um, sure. and you could go. You could go to a Navy clinic or something if you wanted to. Usually, the schedule at UT was so compressed that I did what was called school orders. So I got paid like I was active duty for two weeks, and you know that was it. That, and I, I graduated and put on O three and didn't have a clue in the world what I had just put on. Like I didn't realize that you know people work their whole lives to not their whole lives like they work for a long time in the sure. Navy. Sometimes put on lieutenant. And then uh, I was immediately referred to as Lieutenant Dan, which was oh fantastic. my god! That okay, that's the best. Yeah. Okay, guess what the yeah. title is going to be on this episode for sure. <laughs> well, just to be fair, L- Lieutenant Dan was in the army, and yeah. he actually was a lower rank than I was. Yeah, but but it didn't matter to anyone who said that. It was always Lieutenant Dan yeah, and I'm new sure. legs. I'm sure. I was going to say now. Now you didn't lose your legs uh, in no. your service, correct? Okay, just check. No, no, no. Last time, I mean, if nope. if those were prosthetics, I'm impressive. Really, you've got. Yeah, very no, used they, to it, they would be super good. Now yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm still. <laughs> so okay, so so you you had a three years of scholarship. You took loans out for your first year. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then and then how does it work? Like how do how do you know how much you're gonna you're gonna owe them? Because it isn't like they just throw money at you. Then you owe them service. And what what kind of service do you owe them? Is it is it year for year? Is it a certain amount? Tell me how did that work for you? I don't know if the rules are still the same. I mean, I, I have recruiters' emails. If anybody was interested, I can get you in touch with the recruiter, I suppose. Um, at the current, at that time, it was a year for year, but the minimum, I think, was three years. So if you took a four-year scholarship, you owed them four years. If you took a three-year scholarship, you owed them three years. If you took a two-year scholarship, you owed them three years. And Got then it. you could take a one-year scholarship and owe someone three years. I mean, the military is going to get their pound of flesh out of you. Sure, um, sure. And uh, and that was sort of like I, I figured that out pretty early, and and I was okay with that. So you okay? So then you when you you went to University of Tennessee for dental school, you you right. finished, and then you uh, where did you go? Were you stationed in different places? Were you what what did, what was it like to be a Navy dentist? Uh, so you know, out I, of dental I, school. I graduated UT Memphis in '07. Um, went to officer school up in Newport, Rhode Island for six weeks in like June and July. It was perfect weather. The tall ships came into the Newport yeah. um, Harbor and 
you got to put on your you know summer white uniform and go into town. Oh my and gosh, yeah. Like I, I've spent a lot of time in Newport. I have relatives that live in Portsmouth, Rhode Island, and, and so I've spent a ton of time in Newport. It's one of my favorite places ever. Yes, and there is would... there's a big military presence there, but it's 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 not what you think. It's not like rough and tumble. It's all like you said. It's like it's like officer school and stuff. It's really yeah. So there's yeah there's a Navy War College at Newport. Yep, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know the the officers' club is right there at the at the base of that bridge that goes in across the Narragansett Bay. It's it's like if life was really like that in the military all the time, everybody would always stay. There. <laughs> exactly, it, it wouldn't be able to is, I mean, it literally looks like you should be uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Is like looks like it should be in a movie all the time. Every place you go looks like it's like. Uh, did you did you go to any of the any of the the mansions and stuff like that? The the did you tour the uh, the breakers or anything like that? We took a after I graduated. Um, school we actually spent a couple more days up there and like took a boat tour out and saw yeah. the breakers from the ocean like we went we went to they have a a wooden bat baseball league there in the summer yeah so it was you know we went there in our navy uniforms it was very nostalgic and you know people buy you drinks and you just you feel like you've really done something when in, in our reality you've done exactly jack squat <laughs> did you have you ever had an awful awful no okay what an awful that? awful it's a milkshake from the newport creamery and uh, the the big one's called the awful awful. And if you if you if you can drink three of them, the fourth one is free. And the question is why would why why would anyone want four of them, much less three of them? But but I mean that that's the thing. I I have I was an awful awful guy to be sure. I just didn't. That's a, definitely a Newport thing. So I don't know if we yeah, have but- I don't know if we have any listeners even in the state of Rhode Island. But that's that's just a, I mean I I that was like very exotic stuff to me because my aunt and uncle lived there and I would go visit them. And so the Northeast was very exotic when you grew up in, in the Midwest, like I did. So sure. I mean, it was, it was really something to fly in to, to let's see, we flew into Providence and yep. like drove down. I mean, I'd, I'd never been that far North before. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so I finished, finished school. And then I, I did a one year AEGD at Naval station, Norfolk, um, okay. in Oh seven, Oh eight. Okay. And then uh, the detailer, who is the general officer that comes around and says, here's all your options. You can go green side and go with the Marines, or you can go blue side and go with the deep water Navy. And so I took uh, I took a, a billet on a carrier, the Eisenhower, okay. and I spent 25 months on the stationed on the Eisenhower. We got to see about 70% of the time, did two deployments. Wow. Uh, so you were, you were, okay, you were married at this point. Yeah, I was married and I had a kid. And how actually, do, I had two kids. How does that work? Uh, you know the the thing about the military is it's not just the people that deploy; it's also the people at home. Oh and my so, god, totally! Like, yeah, my my wife, uh, you know, kind of ran around with a couple of the other wives of some of my fellow officers on the Ike, and they're still big buddies to this day. And I'll bet. And uh, you know, they all had kids, and it, you know, in in the Virginia Beach area, like it's not uncommon. You see a, a bunch of a bunch of wives with kids, and you go, "Well, their dads are all deployed." Yeah, um, and, and and vice versa. You see a how bunch often, of how often yeah. were you in in any kind of a home base where you could see your family? Um, so the the way it works on a on most ships, and I mean, I guess carriers are the are the archetype example here. Is you sure. go through a workup, you go through a workup period, so. When you come out of the yards, come out of the shipyards, haven't worked on the ship, then you know you take it out for a couple, three days and turn left and turn right and make sure the ship doesn't sink. And then you come back, um, spend a couple of days fixing things, um, and then you just progressively go out longer and longer and longer um, until you go out for like four weeks or so. It's a, the big final training evolution. It's called Com2X. And then you come back and everybody can take leave. 
in cycles and then you deploy. And we deployed once for seven months and once for like eight months, I think. Wow. So yeah. you're, when you're deployed, you're gone for seven months. You're gone, man. Like we left Norfolk and sailed across the Atlantic and chopped into the med and, you know, went up toward Spain and went over toward France and went down past Italy. And, uh, and then you go down the Suez Canal and you go through the, the North Arabian Sea. And so we were sending planes into, I guess, Afghanistan at the time. Um, and when, then when, about, break, when about would this be? Uh, this would have been 2008 to 2010. Wow. Okay, hang tight. I'm going to use one of my sound effects. <laughs> the Alan Mead Experience, fly on the wall. Okay, so I want to know what it's like. What is it like to be a dentist on an aircraft carrier going all around Europe? Holy crap, what's your day like? Um, well, you're, you're on a nuclear powered aircraft carrier, first of all. So there's lots of places that don't want you or that you can't pull in. Um, we did get to pull into some cool places though. Lisbon, um, Portugal and, um, uh, Marseille, France. And we went to Dubai and Bahrain a whole bunch. Uh Um, but so a typical day, man, I got to tell you, it depends on what sort of job you have, but a Navy dentist out to sea, you're probably doing, Thirty five percent of your time, forty percent of your time is dentistry. The other time is like you've gotten tasked with some uh, ancillary duty. Like I, I ran, I was the stock officer for the dental clinic, so I spent a whole bunch of time in our stock room trying to figure out what I could order because we had to order it through this military website, and then Henry Shine would ship it to Norfolk, and then that would get on a plane. And fly to Oman, and so it became a huge nightmare to have supplies. Yeah, because so you had was, to time it probably to when you were in places, right? Well, no. So when you're out, when you're out to sea, um, you don't go pull into port and restock. Like they send a ship, and there's a process called an unrep, an underway replenishment. And these two ships pull side by side, and they throw lines back and forth, and they start pumping fuel and sending pallets of food and over. And they yell, "Here's your amalgam." Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that absolutely. We had uh, we had folks that liked uh, Contour and folks that liked Titan. Yeah, and, and man, we we would we'd plug a hole for sure. Um, but so a typical day would be like you wake up and you know there's there's they they sound sound you know Reveille or colors or whatever. Sure. Um, and then it's EXO happy hour, which means uh, the EXO comes on, the executive officer of the ship comes on, and you know cheers you up about how you're still out to sea and it's hot, <laughs> all balls outside. And uh, you haven't seen land for 30 days and uh, and then says, everybody go clean something. And so you spend an hour cleaning the ship, um, which doesn't matter because it's dusty outside and it's all dirty the next 30 minutes anyway. Sure. Um, and then you would see patients from like nine to noon and then take two hours for lunch because, yeah, the officers can eat fast, but you've also got, you know, 3,500 shipmates, you know, 4,000 shipmates that are enlisted sailors, and they've got to go through their their chow lines too. Um, and then you'd see patients from like two to five, and that was the end of the dental day. And then it became like, uh, you know, we may do exams or something at night because everybody has to have an exam every year or else you end up like worried about readiness numbers, sure. operate dental readiness, your ODR. Yep. Um, and so you, you just want to make sure your numbers stay good so that – the EXO doesn't take notice of you because when when your command officers start noticing you, you've done you've done something wrong probably. Yeah, it's the last thing you want. Right? <laughs> um, 
Uh, we were lucky on the Ike. We actually had two captains um, who outranked our CO in terms of lineal number, which is like they joined the Navy before our CO did. Okay. Which is this weird situation that we'd have two O six full bird captains in dental, even though it wasn't its own department. Uh, and that's like a little inside baseball politics stuff. But it basically meant we got left alone. Yeah. Like nobody was going to come mess with with our O sixes because that's just you, you just learned not to do that. OK. Um, so but, you know, we we'd PT a whole bunch and and, you know, play play uh, stupid video games. I watched a lot of Family Guy. <laughs> so, OK, so so you got you, you've got your that sounds like you got six hours worth of dentistry most days. How, yeah, you get, uh, how many that's, dentists? That's how many really, dentists were working at any given time? Like, what what was the so, clinic? So we work six days a week and like a half day on Sunday sometimes. I mean, we we weren't there was nothing else to do really other than dentistry unless you wanted to find yourself on a committee. Um, there's so there's five on board. Um, on the Eisenhower, we had three um, general dentists, one of whom was a captain, the other two was me and a buddy of mine were lieutenants. Okay. Um, and then we had an oral surgeon who was a lieutenant commander, um, and they only spent a year on the ship. They would they didn't want their skills to atrophy, so the Navy. <laughs> really- <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's it's funny that you say that though because I'm, I got to ask you why they would atrophy. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, because all they do is take out teeth. Like they don't do any big surgeries. They're yeah. not doing any implants. There's no like jaw resections sure. or any of the other stuff they're trained for. It's all like it's all whizzies all the time, baby. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what um, happens when you get a bunch of eighteen to twenty year old guys on a ship, right? Oh man. And and our one of our oral surgeon one year he fell and broke his wrist, so like I became the junior oral surgeon. Oh by wow. Okay. Which, which is fine because the CRNA on the ship was my roommate okay. and. You just put people to sleep and shuck some teeth. Oh, nice! Wow. So you got you you so you had your own sedationist basically. You had you you basically they'd put them out and you would take the teeth out. Yeah, you got it. That's I mean you got to have somebody who can put people to sleep in case you know their arm gets ripped off on the on the flight deck. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got a CRNA on board and he was bored to tears because you didn't do surgery every day. So he'd he'd gladly come down and put people to sleep. Oh my gosh, that sounds okay. So so your typical your. I mean, I know in the military you don't have a lot of patients that don't show. You don't have to worry about that texting thing or anything like that because they pretty much have to show up, right? Um, the, yeah, well, see, if we're out to sea, they're definitely going to show up because yeah. if they're on a flight deck where it's 125 degrees and then their chief's like, hey, you got an appointment in dental, oh, you better believe they're coming down because it's cool. Yeah. And, and they can kind of get lost in the ship for like 30 minutes after they're done. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a nice break. But, yeah, when when we were in port, like in in – in Norfolk or whatever. I mean, there was very little dentistry that got done. Interesting. Because everyone was off? Everyone was doing taking their leave or Yeah, so when you're in port, I mean you've got you've either got people on leave or you've got people trying to fix stuff on the ship. Sure. When we're out to sea, we have a captive audience. Sure. We'll we'll see patients then. It wasn't any big deal because because with five of us there, like we could totally handle that. Okay. So how did as a patient like as a patient, I'm an enlisted guy. Um, one of the great deals of being an enlisted guy is they feed you, they they give you a place to sleep, and they take care of your medical and and all that stuff. What was? How did they come through the clinic? In other words, were they, you know, were they treated like new patients when they were new, or did they are they given an? They, probably they're given some kind of a dental exam when they first when they first show up, right? Yeah. Well, so whenever. Um Whenever you join, I mean, you're going to go through what's called MEPS, which is like a medical evaluation program. And then when you get to your boot camp, they're going to do your first medical evaluations. They're going to do your first dental evaluations and chart everything. And I don't know if it's computerized now. We're still doing some hardcore paper charting um, uh, just a few years ago. Sure. Uh, and then so so that, 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 that folder – 
that packet follows that sailor wherever they go. Like when you check into a command, you've got your medical record and your, and your dental record in your hand and you go turn it in. And then when you check out of that command, you go pick it up and take it with you wherever got you're going it. next. Got it. So they've always had an exam or if they're, if they're dink, like if they're due, we'll throw them in the chair and do their exam. Um, you know, the deal is these guys are working shift work and it's hard and it's hot and it sucks sometimes. And so they drink a lot of Mountain Dew. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they drink, they drink a lot of Monster and they drink a lot of, you know, uh, cigarettes or they don't drink cigarettes or they smoke a lot of cigarettes. I mean, I've seen people pull down a pack of menthols in about, you know, 30 minutes, which is really an impressive sight. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard work is what that is. That's it is. Yeah. It's put your mind to that function until it's not. Yeah, exactly. So, so, uh, I mean, so they, so there's, there's disease a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, there's, and the nice thing is it's a pretty young population, so you don't see a ton of perio, but yeah. you do see, you do see just, I mean, you're constantly fighting, you know, how did this hole get here? It wasn't here six months ago. Yeah. And, you know, you put amalgam in it or you put, you know, resin modified glass on them or, and you try to counsel them and some kids will brush their teeth and some kids are unfamiliar with where the fluffy end of the toothbrush is supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's it's what Ryan Call called the truck stop diet the other day. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that's uh, right. Popping cigarettes, basically. Yeah, and uh, so, uh, probably so, not as much. Know, I, probably not as much meth on the on the uh, on the aircraft carrier as Indiana. No, but, that that makes a pretty strong smell. You find that pretty quick, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, but I'm sure somebody's tried. Yeah. <laughs> so, what was your? Did they have like? Did you have like hygiene? Did they run through hygiene, or did you guys do all that stuff, or what? Yeah, we actually we had a hygienist, um, and we had uh, several. I mean, I guess they're called the best name for us, Profi Techs. I mean, sure. our assistants could get Profi trained. Um, so you know, they do scale and polish, and all well, that probably kind of in stuff. a lot of cases, like you said, there's not a lot of perio, so so it's a matter of just cleaning the crap off their teeth, for, yeah. So you could do a good exam on it. Then. Yeah, get the big chunks off, and uh, and then you know we we tried to make it nice. Like I before we left, I ordered a bunch of whitening stuff from Ultra Dent. Nice. And and tried to, you know, hey, if you if you get all your work done, we'll whiten your teeth before we get home. And so that that helps some. Um, but mostly it's just, you know, it's part of your job and you go check off the dental box and go on to medical and get your annual evaluations done every year. There's so, a lot of there's a lot of paperwork. Yeah, oh my gosh. I'm sure of that. So shoot, there's a lot of paperwork in my office for crying out loud. Yeah. I can only imagine when when Uncle Sam is involved. But so your typical thing was probably a lot of directs, right? I mean, a lot of direct restorations, yeah. whether it's amalgam. Yeah. You said they do. They didn't do a lot of posterior composite. Uh, no. Uh, you. I, I started to do them more in my last year just sure. because I was trying to get my practice up. Sure. But no, I mean, it's called battle ready, son. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you. It's a. It's in some of these kids, man. You just you. You're doing what you can to put them back together, and the best thing for them sometimes is, is a is a big old wad of silver in their tooth. Well, um, yeah. I mean, there's two years. An argument to be made that that stuff lasts under under pressure. Well, I don't know. I don't know, but I get it. I get it. It was also probably there's a point where cost effectiveness is pretty important too. So well, cost effectiveness and, and time too. I mean, you can do a quadrant of amalgams in a whole lot less time than you can do a quadrant of composites. And a poorly placed amalgam is going to last a lot longer than a poorly, poorly placed, placed composite. composite. It's very true. It's very true. So I mean, these, you know, this swimming and spit and, and all this stuff. And I and I got a pretty adept at rubber dam. Um, yeah. But I mean, two years on the ship, I did I did two crowns. Okay. So we're not, ta- two- we're not, yeah, we're not talking a lot. Of- How did you do the two crowns? Shoot, if you never do them, did you have, was, there wasn't a lab on the ship, was there? Actually, we had two lab techs and we had a, we had an induction casting machine and we had some Vita. Those guys must have been the most bored guys on the ship. They, what, 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 do they do dentures? 
Um, we could do a flipper or something. And frankly, whenever we tried to do that, they always looked at me like I had three heads. I was like, <laughs> Hey, let's, let's make a flipper. And they're like, we don't remember how to do that. So what they end up doing is like, these guys become like our repair guys. And, you know, they end up volunteering. A couple of these guys were really career minded. So they would end up volunteering across the ship and be gone most of the time. Cause they're in all these different work groups and committees and teams and all this other stuff. So which was fine. We didn't. We didn't need to lab tech. <laughs> it sounds like you're slinging amalgam, like like you get carpal tunnel syndrome from slinging amalgam. You don't really need the lab techs, but that's no, not really. No, not really. I mean, they're they're great guys. But the sure. other the other doc on the ship was, or the other doc with us, um, sort of our most senior doc was a prosthodontist. Oh wow! It's, and he was an old school prosthodontist. He was a great guy, but he was like, no, I'll I'll wax this up myself. So he did. He did all the crowns. Okay, I, so if I, crowns were being done, he was going to do them. Yeah, because he would he would wax and cast and stack the porcelain himself and everything, and so he just he took care of all that. Interesting. So so and then probably your composite came in the anterior. Then probably you probably got to do anterior composites when when they had stuff going on in front teeth. Yeah, yeah. That's that's really the only place you do a lot of lot of composite work. And we did the military should should uh, should kidnap Dave Clark and make him <laughs> teach because honestly that would be the most efficient. Wait, oh my gosh, that'd be great. BioClear, uh, in, the, in the right, BioClear can be, the one thing that people don't talk about with BioClear, it's fast. It's really fast. It's faster than, you, you know, like, like I love the idea that someone like Jason Smithson can, can make a tooth that looks about as good as God could make it. I think that's awesome, and I, I think that there's a lot of people that have real skill set, but it takes time. <laughs> Military doesn't give you a lot of time. For, probably not a lot of layering going on on the aircraft carrier. No, I mean, we did some of that in my residency and that was all fun and stuff. And, and we had, we had some great, we had actually had some great teachers. Our, our residency director was fantastic, but uh, no, no, on the carrier, it was like, plug that hole and let's move on sailor. Yeah. You know, so you had, how many, how many people were on the boat at, at, when you were out to sea? When the air wing and everybody was fully embarked, I think we were right about 4,300. Wow. So that's, I mean, yeah, there's I mean, dental and medical needs, 4,300 people, yeah. invariably it's going to happen, right? It's a it's a it's a floating city. So like there's a couple of barber shops and there's a couple what we called Seven Elevens, you know, little snack shop kind of things. Yeah. And there's there was two let's see two wardrooms and like three places for the enlisted to eat. And um, you know we had I think three gyms, four gyms on board. Um, you know we have an airport. Yeah. Uh, we have two nuclear reactors, so yeah, I mean it was, it's it's like a full city, and that includes you know being able to do laparoscopic surgery on people. We had we had a surgeon and sure. Yeah. So tell me about that. Like, how did dental fit into medical? I'm sure that's political as I'll get out, but I'm curious. Oh, like, it's super political. Like, um, where, did I mean, the dental guys resent the medical guys, or did you guys get in with them? And like, how many physicians did they have, and that sort of thing? Um, we had a surgeon, uh, two physicians, a PA, um, a nurse, um, and a whole bunch of corpsmen, some IDC, some independent duty corpsmen that had come over from the Marines and were rotated onto the ship. Or sort of medics, probably, or something like that. Well, an IDC is more like um, – it's like a well, it's not a medic, it's but it's not a PA either. It's, okay. But it's, it's somebody that you could put them on what we called small boys, like DDGs or CGs, and they could take care of most medical things there. Yeah. Without without having a bunch of oversight and guidance. Because well, I'm thinking on, on an aircraft carrier, most of the medical. First off, you've got younger guys, so probably there's not as you know, it's probably not a lot of type two diabetes, probably not a lot of hypertension. You know, maybe some genetic stuff, but most of them are relatively fit and relative. So I'm thinking to myself. There's got to be a lot of like stupid injury stuff, right? Like 
There's stuff people are getting thumped with stuff or dropping stuff on their foot or that's got to be the most common thing, right? Yeah, like like absolutely stupid injuries, and and that's not just like I, I did something dumb at work. It's like my buddy and I were horsing around with the the weight plates in the weight room, and yeah. I crushed my hand. Yeah, uh, I would say the other big thing that got a lot of traffic was um, the psychology officer. Oh, we had yeah. a psychiatrist. We had a, we had a psychologist on board. Yeah, <clears throat> and he had. He had his own office, and it, there was always people in there talking. You're out for eight months, man. That's money well spent. I'm just saying. You might have, yeah. might have needed more of that I, if, if it yeah. were me. That's that's nuts. I mean, I get it, but wow. Interesting. These are all things yeah. I had no idea about, by the way. Like, Yeah, I mean, anything that you would have in a small town. I mean, a legal department. You know, uh, we had, you got a jail. You got the brig. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got – you got, there was more ordinance – on our ship, this now this is what one of our ordies told me. I, I didn't verify it because I, I I don't go in the weapons lockers. Sure, but there's more ordnance on our ship than was dropped in all of Vietnam. Oh wow! So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's a very impressive thing to tell somebody. Like sure. when the king of Bahrain comes on board, like you say, hey, by the way, this is very- <laughs> no no pressure or anything, but yeah, wow, that's nuts. I know you flew your helicopter on board and you feel smug about that, but oh by the way, yeah, that's nuts. I mean, I, I I love I love the fact that. Like the small city aspect, how much, how much of that, your AGD was done. You said it, was it Norfolk? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes. And I was in the Virginia beach, Norfolk area, the all okay. four years I was in. Yeah. Okay. So, and so that was, I mean, that was an educational experience, whereas it was less educational and more, they were using you as a, I mean, they, you were, you were there to put their men back together on the ship basically. Well, yeah, that, but man, it was plenty educational. I mean, I'd. You, there's an opportunity to, to get surface warfare qualified. So you get this, you go through this course of study and you get a fancy pen to put on your uniform. And so I, I did that. And, you know, that means you get to go down to the nuclear reactors when they're turned off and see the core and, and look through the little glass. And that's cool. And you get to hang out in primary flight control. And So you and aren't them. necessarily just a dentist there. They, oh. you, basically what it comes down to is you're a Navy guy that happens to have the, the, qualifications for being a dentist in other words you could yeah you can be it's not like the dentists are sectioned off in their own little world doing dentisty stuff all the time this is you are you are a naval guy who happens to have the skills of a dentist yeah that's a pretty way that's a that's a good way to stay i mean there there are some restrictions like a, you can't you can't stand like we couldn't stand watch on the bridge because it was in a time of war and the geneva conventions prevent uh medical personnel from doing that okay which is what what our legal officer told the Told the CEO when he tried to get us to stay in bridge watch, which I appreciated. Um, <laughs> I think they did it because no. dentists, dentists are too mentally unstable. They're afraid you might do something that would like would like start a war or something. <laughs> I, I hope not. I mean, I'm I'm not qualified to do any of that stuff, and you you really didn't want me doing it at like two in the morning. That was not work out well. <laughs> oh, that's right. And that's what they wanted us for. They wanted to spell everybody else and like, well, go get the dental officers. They're not doing anything. They're not doing anything. Those guys, those guys have it cushy. Oh my gosh. It, that's kind of amazing. I wasn't honestly. I was not expecting to be as enthralled. This is kind of an interesting story. But uh, yes, yeah, so there's go ahead. There's a, there's, a, there's a pretty cool um, PBS documentary from oh gosh, it's probably close to ten years ago now called Carrier. That like it's 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 engrossing. I watched that before I went to the ship, and I got to the ship and was like, holy crap, this is like high school. Oh wow! It's, I it's to, because it's, you're dealing with mostly eighteen to twenty one year olds, and so it's a whole lot of high school. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's great. Dr. Yeah. Daniel Smith, this was fantastic. I was not expecting to be so like drawn into the whole thing. Now I'm now I feel like there's I, I'm going to go watch Carrier now. I'm going to I'm going to figure this is amazing stuff. But hey, 
um, I'm going to see you at Voices of Dentistry 2018, right? I've already got the ticket bought, man. Nice. Okay, so anyone else who is hearing that, go buy your ticket before September 18th. Save yourself 300 bucks. Voicesofdentistry.com. It's in Scottsdale, Arizona at the uh, Doubletree Resort. Uh, Dr. Daniel Smith is going to be there. I'm going to be there. A bunch of podcaster nerds are going to be there. It's going to be fantastic. So go buy your ticket now. If you have any questions or comments for me, Alan at the Alan Mead Experience, uh, com. And uh, I'll tell you what, this was great, Daniel. We will talk to you again real soon. And thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Al. Have a great night. Hey, before you turn this off, Go to your podcast app and leave us a review or go to iTunes, leave a review. Tell the world that what you like or don't like about the show. Give us five stars. Let the world know what we're doing here at the Alan Mead Experience. Thank you again for listening. And thank you to Premier Dental for supporting the show and all the shows. We really appreciate it. We will talk to you guys again soon.